Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Lots changed since I was last up here. There's now a clock back there. When I was pastoring, we didn't need a clock. My sermons were always short. And uh, so I guess, Todd, you required a clock. I don't know. (laughs) Hear the word of the Lord as we read this morning from Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. It's it's always amazing to me when we come to the Advent season, and we see that simplicity, that simpleness of the manger scene, of the shepherds coming and gathering around and, and, and Mary and Joseph and the baby and, and all that goes on there. Now, it's real easy to add a lot to that and start speculating on what's going on. But the scripture is pretty clear. It was a very, very simple scene. It's kind of unlike our day, isn't it? Both with Christmas and with royalty. I, I don't know if you're a British fan or not, but a lot of people get all caught up uh, on the news and everything, when a, when a royal baby is born. I remember when those royal, William, uh, Prince William and Prince Harry and all the others, when they were born, that the, the, the hospital would be inundated with the press. And dignitaries would come into the city and they would surround, waiting on the news of, of this prince that was about to be born. And, and is everywhere on television, even in the colonies, us, It would be on television, and people would gather around and and could not wait until the news came out that this prince, this new royalty, had been born. And everybody celebrated. It was not that way when the king of kings and the lord of lords, the king of all creation, the king whose name is above every name, at which name one day every knee will bow, and acknowledge that he is indeed Christ the Lord. It was not that way with him. It was quiet in some ways. In other ways, probably not so quiet. We sing the song Silent Night, but a baby was born that night, and usually when babies are born, there's not a lot of silence around the babies. But, but there was a baby born that night that was just kind of in an extraordinary way. Not extraordinary as we would count it, Not extraordinary in the sense that everybody wants to see it and everybody wants to come and draw near and have their picture made with this baby, but it was just mom and dad in a manger, a baby lying in a manger, and some shepherds who were given a message 
and then who came to see what that baby was all about. You know, we've looked at three songs. This is the third song thus far. And I, I would not, I would be at error to remind you that there's no indication in the scripture that these songs are actually sung. If you saw what it said there, the heavenly host was praising God and saying. When you go to Mary and Mary's Magnificat, which Pastor Todd dealt with a few weeks ago so beautifully, it says that, and Mary spoke these words, or Mary said. And when Zechariah had his uh, prophecy or his song last week, it said, Zechariah prophesied. Now, they're, they're not songs in the sense of how we tend to think of them being songs, but they are written in kind of a lyrical, kind of a, uh, a way that could be set to music and has been set to music on many occasions. But they're songs in the sense of that's what we tend to identify praise with. It's what we tend to identify worship with. That there are songs that must be sung. Even in our own day, we sometimes fail to see that the message, the sermon, the reading of Scripture, the praying is all a, a major part of the worship. And we kind of look at it and say, well, we, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of worship today. We didn't sing a lot of songs. Songs are important, but songs are not the essence of worship. Songs are important. Music is important. Music lifts the soul. Music opens us up in a way that just spoken words don't sometimes. But music and songs are not the essence of worship. The essence of worship is where is the focus? What are we looking at? What are we looking for as we come into this time? Well, in this particular case, we see that there was a, a matter of faith in all three of those. Pastor Michael brought this out so clearly last week with Zechariah's prophecy. And how, you know, and with Mary, when the angel appeared to Mary and spoke to her about this one that she was going to bear and how she would conceive and bear a son, Mary didn't say, well, you know, she said, I'm, I'm a virgin, I'm, I'm, I've never known a man and all this, but... But when the angel explained to her what was taking place, she said to him, you know, basically, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Let it be according to your word. In other words, I submit myself by faith, believing God's word is true, and I, I bow in his presence to do whatever his will is because I'm his servant. It's an act of faith. It's an act of trust that took place there. Then you had Zechariah, when, when the angel came to him and told him in Luke 1.18, he said, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? In other words, give me a sign. For, for I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And, and the sign that basically the angel gave him, that God gave him, was not what he was really looking for. The sign was, okay, you'll be mute for nine months. Won't be able to say a word. Won't be able to speak. Won't be able to praise God with your voice. Won't be able to instruct. You'll be struck mute because he was, now Michael brought it up beautifully, that was a, an act of God's mercy. Judgment could have been a whole lot more severe on his disbelief. But then we come, then we come to this one. And while we're talking about the song of the angels and the expression of the angels, you've got to understand the context of it to really understand the greatness of that song. We know about the first part of this chapter where where the birth of Jesus takes place, that Caesar had, had declared that there'd be a census taken, and everybody go back to their, the home of their, their family origin, which in, in Joseph's case was the city of David, Bethlehem. And so they went back, and, and there they got there, and we all know that there was no room in the inn. 
And, and so since there was no room in the inn, they had to go out somewhere where there was a manger, where animals were fed. And there Mary gave birth. And, and that baby was born, wrapped in swaddling clothes or cloths, and lie and, and laid in a manger there in a trough where he would rest. Just a few miles away, out on the countryside, it says there were shepherds out in the field. In the same region of Bethlehem, in the same general area, there were shepherds out on the field watching over their flock by night. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord, it doesn't name the angel in this case, but an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all about them, all around them. Now, understand when it says the glory of the Lord, it's talking about the, the manifestation of the presence of God. The glory, the Shekinah glory, has been a factor throughout all the Old Covenant as well as into the New Covenant, that when God appears, when God makes his presence known, there's a Shekinah glory. It might have been a, a cloud of a fire by day as he led the children of Israel through the wilderness, or a, or a, a cloud of, of fire by night, excuse me, and a cloud by day as they wandered through the wilderness. That represented God's presence. On the Day of Atonement, when the glory of the Lord reached down to the, to the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and later in the temple, and there was a manifestation, a brightness of God's glory, the glory represents his manifest presence among his people. Now, you would expect that manifest presence to be made somewhere like the temple. Or that manifest presence to be made somewhere like around the religious leaders or maybe even to Herod himself and to, to Caesar himself so that they would know and they would see the glory of God that's being shown. But no, it shows up on a hillside in the region that Bethlehem is in, somewhere between Bethlehem and, and Jerusalem more than likely. And, and there it shows up to shepherds. Why in the world, why in the world would that message, that glory, that experience be given to shepherds? Well, there have been a lot of speculation through the years and, and really ideas as to why that might be the case, why he appeared to shepherds. One of them is that, that well, uh, you know, the, the truth of the matter is the shepherds were those who were outcast. They were the downtrodden. They were those... My papers are sticky. Excuse me. The, the shepherds were, were those who were just simply ceremoni ceremon ceremonially unclean most of the time. They, they were out with dirty sheep. They didn't have time to purify themselves. They didn't have time to go in and, and do something. In other words, he's just appearing to working class sinners out on the side of the hill, much like you and me. The angel did not appear to the rich and the powerful or the particularly righteous or religious, but to lowly shepherds, to average people who would be the receivers of this new and glorious and great message. Another possibility is that they appear to the shepherds because of the proximity to Jerusalem. The sheep may have been sheep that were designated to be used for the sacrifices in the temple. There were rabbinical laws that said the sheep, which would normally be way out in the wilderness, way out away from the cities because of the stench and because of the, the, the uncleanness of the, uh, the shepherds themselves, that these sheep were held close by because they were watched over and kept pure 
in order to be used for the ceremonial sacrifices in the temple. Thus, appearing to these shepherds with all these sheep around them is perhaps a foreshadowing of the death of Christ. Foreshadowing the fact that these sheep are being used for sacrifice, and this one baby born in this manger was, was being born for one reason, and that is to be a, a sacrificial death on, on the part of his people. I mean, you know, if you've been around me long, you know that one of my favorite things to say this time of year, and I didn't think I was going to get to say it, now I get to say it. And it's simply this, the cross was always behind the cradle. The cradle is not the end thing. Now, in our day, we tend to kind of make it the end thing. Oh, it's all about Jesus being born. It's all about, and it's important, no doubt. He had to come. But if you understand the cradle apart from the cross, if you understand the birth of Jesus apart from the sacrificial death of Jesus, then you've missed the totality of the gospel message. There could be a little bit of symbolism here that the shepherds were appeared to by the, the angel, by God's presence, because David was a shepherd. David was a shepherd before becoming king. So shepherds may also carry some Davidic symbolism here. I love the, the whole idea of, of the picture of that song we sing, Sing Ye the Song of Emmanuel, when it comes to that one phrase there that says, Mary's maker, now Mary's son. The one who created Mary, the one who was there in the beginning, before anything was created, the ever-existent God of all creation, is now born, is now David's son through the lineage and, and, the, and the persons of David, and there he is in the city of David. Of course, you know, the prophecies were, were myriad in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. They were looking for that. I loved reading bon, one of bon, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's sermons when he was in prison, in prison for resisting Hitler and the Nazis during the, the time of, of Hitler's regime. And, and he died there in prison. But one of his last uh, letters that he wrote from prison was near Advent. And, and Bonhoeffer loved Advent. And he said in this particular letter, the jail cell that I'm in brings great thoughts of Advent. And that may seem like a strange analogy to you. Here was this man in prison, a political prisoner, in jail, going to die. He didn't know it when he wrote that letter, I don't think, but was going to be executed because of his uh, opposition to Hitler. But he says, this jail cell, this prison cell that I'm in, reminds me of Advent because I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for what is yet to come. Will I be set free? Will I be carried into the presence of my Savior because of, uh, of my imprisonment and, and ultimate death? I don't know why, but it reminds me of Advent. I'm waiting. And I want to remind you that the world, or the known world at that time, the Jewish world anyway, the Hebrew world, was waiting for the Savior. They were waiting for a word from God. They were waiting for something that would, would shine light, lead them out of darkness. There had been that 400-year period where there had been no word from God at all. And they were waiting, like in prison, like in bondage, like in darkness. 
And this one that was coming up on the scene on this night now, the glory of the Lord, the light of the Lord, the brightness of the Lord shone all around these shepherds. And, and, and they saw that and they heard the angel saying, today there's some, some good news that I bring you. But before they heard that good news, I want you to see that the angels were filled with fear. It says there, quite simply, said the, the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. Great fear. That is probably an understatement. It's probably, they were probably frightened out of their wits. They were frightened to death, we might say today. They, they, they'd never seen this before. They'd never seen an angel before. And yet, here is this angel, which is a messenger of God, which is typically presented in Scripture in the, in the sense of a mighty warrior. Here he is. He appears to them. The, the ground and the atmosphere around them is flooded with light. And they fell on their faces in fear, scared to death. I would have too. And you would have too. I'm always amazed at hearing stories of people in the 20th century, the 21st century, it's been going on for years now, who will write books and make a lot of money telling about how an angel visited them, how an angel came and sat on their bed, how an angel came and just told them everything was going to be all right, no big deal, no problem. I mean, these stories are, are myriad in our day in a lot of ways. And they always describe the angel as, as we typically see them. I'm, we don't have an angel up there on the screen like they would be presented today. A beautiful woman, white wings, not at all like Clarence and It's a Wonderful Life. But, uh, and that's another story of falsehood, but that's, an, that's all right. It's a great movie. But, but here you have a beautiful flowing white garment woman who's the angel. Nothing to strike fear in that. The scripture always presents the angels as mighty warriors. Something that when you see one, you don't think, hey, this is great. But rather you fall down and think, I am scared to death. And so the first thing the angel says to them, the very first two words the angel says to them, is fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. I know, I know I look scary. I, I know that you've never seen a light kind of like this all around you. But don't be afraid. Because I've got some good news for you. I'm bringing you good news for all the people. I'm bringing you good news that I want you to hear and I want you to understand. Now, now clearly, the angel is saying, your fear is not necessary. I'm not going to hurt you. But I want to tell you something. It's for all the people. Now, the word people that's used there is, a, is the word laos, which is the word that typically in that day would have meant for all of, of the Hebrews, all of the nation of Israel, all of Jerusalem, for the people who have been longing for and looking for. Those outside of the covenant relationship through, through the uh, covenants would not have been looking for a Savior. They would not have been looking for a, a Messiah. But all the people who have been looking, the angel says, this, is, this news is for them, and they should hear it. It says, for today, 
makes the pronouncement, today, I'm going to give you a sign. You didn't ask for one, but I'm going to give you a sign. Today, I bring you great good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want you to know that today, even while you've been out here on the mountainside tending these sheep, today, there has been born just a few miles down the road the one who is to be the Savior of his people, the one who is to be the Redeemer of his people. And folks, that's good news. Now, at that point, it was only limited perhaps to the, to the covenant of Israel, the covenant of the Hebrews, but it's going to be, as it showed later on, it's going to be not just for them, but for the whole world. He's going to be the one who for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that it would expand. But right now, he's talking about those who have been looking forward to the coming. Said Zechariah wanted a sign, he didn't get it. The angels didn't ask for a sign, they were given it. And, and they said, this is simply it. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, I think the second half of that is probably the most important, lying in a manger. There may very well have been a lot of babies, or several babies anyway, in Bethlehem that night who were wrapped in swaddling clothes, because babies were being born all along, right? And so there may be some others who had come back for the census who were pregnant or who had just had children before they came, and, and they were still young, infant babies. And so they wrap them in the swaddling claws, and they, they hold them tight, and they're in their rooms, and they're doing what they're doing. But the, but, but the manger is the key here of the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And, and that's your sign. That's what you're to look for. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, literally myriads and myriads of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I find it interesting that Mary only saw one angel. Only one angel, Gabriel, visited her and told her. And, and then you've got Zachariah, excuse me, you've got Joseph. And, and Joseph, he, he didn't really, uh, according to Scripture, he didn't really physically see an angel. He, the angel came to him in a dream. One angel in a dream. Then you've got Zechariah who's told that and, and just one angel. But now with the declaration that it's not just coming, it's not just about to take place, it's not something that you can look forward to and you can prophesy about, but it's something that has already happened. And because of the gloriousness of that night, that day, the coming of Messiah, the whole heavens opened up and a myriad of angels burst forth with the angel that had appeared to begin with and they began praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Wow. Is there not a bit of an irony here that an army of angels declares peace, that an army of angels, mighty warriors that they are, comes to say that there is now peace. 
I want to come back to that song in just a minute, but I want to go one step further before we go to it. And that's outside of my text, but verse 22. Excuse me, verse 15. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let us go. Let us do this. I think there's, there's an urgency in that statement that, that the shepherds kind of looked at each other and basically said, what are we waiting for? Let's go see this thing. Why are we just sitting here? Something magnificent has happened. And the Lord, not the angel, that was just a messenger. But the Lord, by the presence of his manifest glory and his manifest presence, the Lord has made that known to us today. So let's go see it. Let's go look at it. And they went in haste and they found Mary and Joseph in the manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told of them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned to their jobs, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told. Shepherds, unclean, lowest rung of the, I mean, they would have been put on the same rung with tax collectors in that day. Shepherds who had no pedigree, shepherds who had no authority, shepherds who had no power, shepherds who just stood out there and sat out there in the fields and looked after sheep. The only thing they were concerned about most of the time was there going to be a wolf around. They guarded their sheep. The only thing they had to fight off was wolves. And now they stand in the presence of this mighty warrior of God, this mighty messenger of God, and the light shines, and, and all of a sudden their, their curiosity has got to be piqued as they're fearfully laying on the ground. What in the world is happening? And they're given the announcement of the greatest news. The greatest news. Not just good news. The greatest news that has ever been proclaimed in all the earth. Shepherds were given that message. Just like you and I are given that message to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're brought to the manger in order to see the glory of the one who is born there in order that we may both go proclaim that and worship him and praise him. And that's what they did. That's what the angels did, and that's what the shepherds did. It doesn't tell us what the shepherds did or what they said when they went away praising God and worshiping God after Mary had ponder these things in her heart, said the shepherds glorifying and praising God. That's, a, that's an act of worship. Doesn't tell us what they said, but I almost think perhaps they might have just been repeating what the angels had said before them. When the myriad of angels appeared, gathered all around on that, on that hillside, and said, glory, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Oh, out of darkness, light appeared. Out of darkness, the shepherds saw a great light. Out of the darkness of 400 silent years since Malachi 
had last prophesied. And he talked about one who would come and one who would be a forerunner of the Messiah and that the Messiah would come for 400 years. There had been absolute, abject darkness, spiritually speaking. And now the light has dawned. The Messiah has come. He's come... Become a man, become a human, become in the flesh. As John said, in the beginning was the the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and nothing was made without Him. Nothing was made apart from Him. Nothing was created apart from Him. So I've got a feeling that, that the angels and the shepherds and us ought to be singing or saying the same song that they did on that night. Glory to God in the highest. Praise be to God. Hallelujah be to God. Glory be to God who is the highest and who alone deserves our glory. Not without accident, or not by accident, that the and not without reason, at the front of the Lord's Supper table here that we see every, every Sunday and, and come to every time we observe the Lord's Supper, every time we observe communion, that on the front of that it says, Sole Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. It's not the glory of a church or the glory of a pastor or the glory of a people. It's not the glory of our fellowship. It's not the glory of anything. It's to God alone be glory. Yes, He gives us pastors to lead us. He gives us a church to be in fellowship with. He gives us great things, but the glory goes to him because in him alone is salvation. There is none other. There is absolutely none other. Out of darkness into light. And then the word peace. On earth, peace among those whom he is well pleased. Peace. We look at our world today and we don't see a lot of peace, do we? We see rioting, we see looting, we see wars, we see threats, we see assassinations. I mean, we can go on and on. There's, there's very little peace in our world. But that's not what the angels were talking about. It's not what the angels were talking about. They were talking about peace between God and man through salvation. The peace with God. Peace with God. Uh, The scripture says, Paul's very clear in Romans, he says, you know, we were once at enmity with God. We were once enemies of God. But by His grace and by the work of His Spirit in our life, through His Word, we have been made friends of God. We've been adopted into the family of God. No longer are we at enmity with God, but now we have peace with God. A peace that will never, ever pass away. There's no condemnation ever again for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's real peace. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. So it's peace with God. But it's also the peace of God. Peace of God that, as Paul says, passes all understanding. It's the peace of God that lets us be able to exist in a world that is absolute chaos. Absolutely looks like it's falling apart at every seam there is. And yet we can stand there with peace. The peace of God. 
We can stand there with joy. We talked about this morning. Joy that, that lets us rejoice and say glory to God in the highest. It's a peace that brings joy because we know our joy and our lives and our peace is not determined on external circumstances. It's determined by the inter- internal reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ. This one who was born in a manger. Is it any wonder that that famous and very beloved blind hymn writer and believer wrote these words? To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his, his, yielded his life the atonement for sin. And open the life gate that we may go in. I mean, what words of praise. Those are, those are very close to what the angels are saying there on the hillside. Glory to God in the highest. So what does Christmas mean? What does Advent mean? It means worship. What have we made it? An absolute commercial uh, landfall? Or we think we've got to outdo last year or outdo somebody else. Or we've got to buy this or buy that. We've got, we got to, you know, a lot of times you say, are you in the Christmas spirit yet? And people say, no, I haven't started my shopping yet. That has nothing to do with Advent. That has nothing to do with the real meaning of Christmas. The meaning of Christmas is that this baby was born with a, with a vital purpose in mind. There are five truths about this this night, five truths that you don't want to miss because this was the incarnation, folks. This was the incarnation. Oh, it's a mystery, and there's mystery surrounding it. But this is God becoming man. Five things I want you to remember. First of all, the incarnation this night was not the divine son's beginning. We think of our children. When our children are born, that is the beginning of their life, and it is. Through natural generation, they, are, they go through gestation, and then they are born, and we rejoice in that. It's a great, but that's when they began. Scripture makes clear, as I quoted a while ago in John 1, 1, that this baby existed before the creation. When, when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. When those children of Abraham would say, you think you're greater than our father Abraham? Before Abraham was, I am. And Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it. Abraham knew the Messiah was coming and he wasn't it. The incarnation is not the beginning. In a sense, it's the beginning of Jesus, Jesus his earthly life. But it is the incarnate God, creator, redeemer, who is being born there in human flesh. Second thing I want you to remember is that the incarnation shows Jesus' humility. It shows his humility. Paul dealt with that at length in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, when he says... He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He humbled himself and took on the form of a man that he might live among us and might be 
with us in perfect living. It shows his humility. He didn't come bearing a sword this time. He came as a lamb born in a manger. Thirdly, uh, the incarnation fulfills prophecy. I had Brian read that passage out of Isaiah 9, which is such a beautiful prophecy of the coming of Christ. But one verse sticks out, and that's verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I don't have time to break those down, but each of those, a beautiful expression of the God who is fulfilling prophecy. What a glorious, glorious truth. We go into other prophecies and talk about them, the prophecy of the Bethlehem birth and all the others, and you can find those by just doing a search on the internet and you can come up with all the prophecies in line and, and look at them. The prophecies were great. The incarnation fulfilled the prophecy that, first of all, was back in the Garden of Eden. When, when God said, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Don't you know, 30 years or so, 33 years or so after this birth, Satan thought he had won? But the prophecy continued that this one who came in the manger would not be defeated and death could not hold him. Well, that's a whole nother time for four months from now. Fourth, the incarnation is mysterious. I, I don't want to I don't want to play that down at all. There is great mystery involved in this birth. There's mystery in the fact, and our, our culture today, our, our world today is very skeptical of anything that has any kind of mystery about it. You know, you've got to have the answer. And, and so we look at that and we say, a virgin birth, really? How can it be a virgin birth? We know how babies are born. We know how they are conceived. We know all this. We got biology. We got all this kind of stuff we can look to. Why? We know that how a, a virgin bearing a child? Impossible. Well, to the human reasoning, I guess it is. I guess it is. God, the bigger mystery than that, even though to me, is that God took on flesh. The immortal, sovereign, invincible, holy God, who is spirit, reigning forever and ever, took on flesh, and not just flesh, but the flesh of a little baby in a manger of all places, not even in a palace. There's mystery involved. But I, I, I just can't help but see that Mystery keeps us drawn close to him. Jess Ray wrote a song, Too Good. And one, two of the lines in it is, Too good perhaps to be understood, but not too good to be true. And, and Andrew Peterson in his uh, resurrection letters talks about how, Lord, help us, understand, help us believe that which was not meant to be understood. There's mystery. There's some things we can't understand. And, and it's on faith and on revelation and on prophetic utterances, we believe those things. If you, if you, if you just require 
proof that we've got a quandary. But we don't walk by sight, do we? We will one day, but we walk by faith. And the final truth about this incarnation I want you to see is that the incarnation is necessary for salvation. Both Todd and, and Michael brought that out in their, in their sermons. Hebrews 2.17, you know, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become merciful, a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to be made like us in the flesh. He had to come and live a perfect life. It was important that the cross was behind the cradle and that one day he would fulfill that ultimate prophecy of his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension to the glory of God and to the salvation of his people. We cannot, we cannot have salvation any other way. It's in the name that is this baby. It's in the name of Jesus. It's in the name that is above every name. It's in the name that by all men who are saved are saved. Only in the name of Jesus. Only by grace through faith in Christ alone. The glory of the incarnation. Mystery that it is. Is more glorious than you can ever imagine. But how do we tend to come to this manger? How do we tend to come to this Advent season? And look, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody. We get caught up in all of the frills and all of the commercialism and all of the stuff and sometimes we miss the simplicity of the Savior. Sometimes we get so caught up in what am I going to give or what am I going to get or how am I going to decorate? Is my decoration going to be prettier than the ones across the street or next door? It's really quite simple. On that night, when shepherds were out tending their flocks, Outside the city, the angels appeared to them and said, Today, right now, in the city of David, in Bethlehem, a child is born, and that child will be Emmanuel, God with us. And he will redeem his people from their sins. I wonder if we not, might not ought to, we're not really starting the season today, but kind of, continuing the season today, I wonder if it wouldn't be good to just stop and pause and pray that God would keep us focused on what really is important. Now, I know we're Baptists. And I know when you say the word liturgy, you freak out. I recognize that. But I think it'd be good if we just did a little liturgy together here. A liturgy that is a prayer. And we do it responsively. If the musicians would come on and, and get in their place as we're preparing for this. Uh, a, a liturgy, a prayer to mark the start of the Christmas season. It's out of this book, it's not mine, it's not original, called Every Moment Holy, which I love by McKelvey, which is 
Liturgies for everything. They even got a liturgy for changing a diaper in there. Some of you young mothers need that. I don't need that anymore, thank goodness. But it's a liturgy to mark the start of the Christmas season. I want us to do this responsibly. And then from that, we'll move right into our hymn of commitment, our hymn of response, which angels we have heard on high. And I invite you to come to Christ. I invite you to come to Christ if you're not a believer. I invite you to trust him today. Uh, Pastor Todd will be here at the front, and others will be here. would love to talk with you and pray with you, but come and trust Christ. Come and inquire. What does it mean to trust Christ? But also, I invite you tonight as a response, or today as a response, looking at that night in Bethlehem, I want to ask you to recommit through this prayer, through this liturgy, recommit to a new start of this Christmas season. Would you stand with me as we read? The congregation will be listed and the pastor will be listed. As we prepare our house for the coming Christmas season, we would also prepare our hearts for the returning Christ. Though there was no room in the inn, to receive you upon your first arrival. As we decorate and celebrate, we do so to mark the memory of your redemptive movement into our broken world. Oh God, our glittering ornaments and Christmas trees, our festive carols, our sumptuous feast. That God, on a particular night, in a particular place, so many years ago, was born to us an infant king, our prince of peace. Our wreaths and ribbons and colored lights, our giving of gifts, our parties with friends, these have never been an end, never been ends in themselves. In view of such great tidings of love announced to us and to all people, how can we not be moved to praise and celebration in this Christmas season? some that was left off. We would prepare you room here in our hearts and here in our home, Lord Christ. Now we celebrate your first coming, Emmanuel, even as we long for your return. O Prince of Peace, our Savior and Lord, return soon. We miss you so. Amen.